Hello and welcome to the Overtime Heroics Baseball Podcast, Cheap Seats Chatter. I'm today's host, Matthias Altman Kurosaki. And with me today, I have Ryan Splash Potts. First things first, Splash, how are you doing on this fine Tuesday evening? I'd be doing a lot better if unspeakable things didn't happen Sunday afternoon, but we are not going to discuss that today. Oh, I would love to discuss that, no. actually. No, <laughs> I, I, I could kick you from the Zoom. <laughs> oh, man, I, I had a field day on Sunday night. But, oh. um, anyway, um, I, I'm doing well, all right. Uh, it's very cold right now, though. Winter, unfortunately, is arriving in Syracuse, and it is freezing cold, and I do not like that, but it is what it is, you know, and of course, we are uh, in the midst of a lockout here with Major League Baseball, but just because they're on pause does not mean we are on pause. In fact, today, we have an episode of Versus, which you'll probably get a lot of Versus episodes with us right now. Today, we are discussing second basemen, all of whom played or are still playing uh, starting in the, in the two thousands. So we got five very good players here. And I say, we start with a guy who kind of went under the radar. I think for most of his career, he was very underrated. And I'm talking about Ian Kinsler, a splash. What were your thoughts on his career? So my, like when I think of Ian Kinsler, I think of those really good Rangers teams, you know, the ones that went to the World Series. And it's just, it's just kind of fun to think about like the good old days when like Texas was really good and you know, going to the World Series. And that was fun because as a kid, like they sucked, right? When I was like eight, they sucked. But then they like got really, really good with Ron Washington, Nelson Cruz, MVP Josh Hamilton. And I, and Ian Kinsler is like a piece there. He was a productive middle infielder. He was a, an all-star in 2010. He was an all-star in 2012, the year after they finished their back-to-back L's. And, you know, then he went, goes to Detroit and he's a, a super productive player there, a career 108 OPS or a 108 OPS plus with the Tigers. So you just look at him and you say, you know, he's a reliable player. You know, for a, he was a reliable player for a long time, played on some really good Texas teams, played on some really good Tigers teams. And he was pretty much a five-tool player. I mean, he was a 30-30 guy twice. You know, he's a four-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glover. Uh, He won a World Series ring with the Red Sox at the end of his career in 2018. Uh, He also was an Olympian for Team Israel this year. And he was a World Baseball Classic champion with Team USA. So he he had quite a career. I mean, he also had a 54.1 career war, which is really good. You know, 4.6 uh, per 162, that is. 257 homers, 243 steals. He finished one hit shy of 2,000. 107, a career OPS plus. He could hit, he could field, he could run. You know, 87 defensive runs saved, like I mentioned earlier, two-time Gold Glover. He was productive up, up until the end of his career. He was productive, you know, pr- productive everywhere he went. I mean, even in that last year, he won a Gold Glove. I mean, he was... And like, like I said, I think he really was underrated. I don't know if people realize how good he was. You know, he's not quite a Hall of Famer. You know, if you look at his jaws and all that, his 54 career war is short of the benchmark for second baseman of 69.7. His seven-year peak war of 38, which is very good. Um, unfortunately, that's short of the 445 and his jaws of 46.0 is short of the 57.1 average. So by by those numbers, though, he's the 20th best second baseman of all time. But, I mean, 
did uh splash i mean i i mean i think he's maybe borderline but what, what do you think about maybe his chances at all or how he should be remembered um i think he's the kind of player that maybe like stays on the ballot a couple of years maybe isn't like a serious contender um a hall of very good to steal a, a term from 538 uh i think when you look back at his career and i this is going to be a common theme with I think everyone we're talking about um, it's difficult to judge the longevity of a second baseman because they can't, most of them can't switch positions late in career and like have five more years. Right. So say let's take Austin Riley, right. In 10 years and Austin Riley can't walk and can't play third. Well, guess what? He can move over to play first. Right. Or he can DH. Well, you don't really want your second baseman DHing in most cases, and your second baseman isn't often going to switch to first. So if you're a primary second baseman for your entire career, that puts a cap on your longevity, and that makes things like your war not stand out as much, even though you are playing a more important defensive position. But the accumulative counting stats, you may not have it with a second baseman. That's what makes, say, Jeff Kent in his 431 home runs, super yeah, three, impressive. 377, yeah. Wrong player, but you get the idea. Yeah, well, that's the thing is that I also – I think second base is also a, a position where you value uh, you value de- defense a fair amount. This thing is with a guy like Kent who's not – he's not uh, on our list today, but Jeff Kent was not a very good defensive second baseman, which is why he's not getting as much traction in the Hall of Fame. Kinsler – very good defensive second baseman, but on this list, this is a very good list that we're discussing today. And I think, unfortunately, he's fifth for me. I mean, I where where do you have him? Yeah, I think that that's fair. I would put him in fifth place too. Yeah, it's just tough. But uh, moving right along, uh, following up Kinsler, we have another guy who played uh, was basically the. I would say he was the either he was a top two second baseman. Uh, during his prime in all of baseball and in the AL. And that's Dustin Pedroia, who unfortunately had his career cut short. But when he was healthy, he was one of the best players in baseball, in my opinion. Splash, look, looking back at his, at his career, I mean, what, what what do you take away from it? So you obviously jumped to the 2008 AL MVP and the 2007 American Rookie of the Year. Did he deserve the 2008 MVP? That's a story for another time. But he had a spectacular season, led the majors in doubles with 54, led the majors in hits as well with 213. So he had these impressive statistical seasons when he was healthy. And with Pedroia, the question always was health. He had a year, middle of his prime, age 26, plays 75 games. Has a year at age 31, plays 93 games. Has a year at age 33, that he plays 105 games. When he was healthy, he was awesome, right? Perennial all-star, gold glove caliber, surprisingly only won one silver slugger. It did happen to be his MVP season. He was a Wilson overall defensive player award winner. So you have so many peaks, but you have a lot of missing information and you have a lot of incomplete. And I would imagine if you talk to a Red Sox fan, sure, they would be over the moon that he won two World Series and was on the 2018 roster. So they didn't. Okay. Thank you, baseball reference three-time World Series champion, 07, 13, and 18. You'd be over the moon with that. But I think there's a bit of that Nomar Garcia-Para disease with Pedroia that you always wanted more. You always wanted another MVP season after his age 24 season. You always wanted like something else, right? 
he was awesome, but the longevity is a question. The the injuries throughout, like he his last productive season was at age thirty three. Yeah, and I I I mean it hurts seeing him have to retire. You know, for me, Pedroia, you know, he really gave me hope. Really, I, I love watching him play, but also, you know, he's only five foot nine and 170 pounds. I mean, guys who are undersized always gave me hope. For, as someone who is, you know, I'm only five eight. You know, I, I love that he was having success. And I know we're going to talk about another guy who's actually shorter than that. But, you know, watching Pedroia play, he was a, he was a real gamer, he, you know, super tough. But, you know, he he brought a lot to the Red Sox. He brought a lot of energy. You know, he was a bit of a leader in the clubhouse, uh, especially as he got older. You know, three three World Series rings, like you said, albeit he was only on the World Series roster for two of them. But, I mean, four-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glover, an MVP, you know, a Rookie of the Year, a Silver Slugger. Racked up 51.9 war in 14 seasons, but that also includes his audition in 2006, and then the the 2018 and 19 when he, where he he played a combined nine games. So take that number with a little bit of grain of salt because, you know, in during his best years, you know, he was a seven war player in 08 and eight war player in 2011, 6.1 in 2013. I mean, 5.4 even in 2016. I mean, he he just had a number of great seasons. You know, he was a, he's a contact guy, but he could hit for power too. You know, he also uh, – he had three home runs in the 2008 ALCS against the Rays, a series they lost, but still. And he uh, he homered in the World Series in 07. You know, he he wasn't a great postseason performer, but he had his moments. And he had 101 de- defensive runs saved. So that's, that's a great number. So, you know, not as much power as Kinsler necessarily, but, you know, arguably a better defender. And he was just a great contact hitter, you know. His uh, seven-year peak war of 41 uh, is short of the seven-year peak war benchmark for Hall of Fame second baseman, but that's really – it's really unfortunate as his career got cut short because I think if he kept at it, like, he easily – I think he easily could have been a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I think he's a, he's a slam dunk Hall of Famer if, if he's healthy. Even if he's healthy, just age 34, age 35, and you're saying three World Series rings – 2008 AL MVP, a bunch of gold, uh, some gold gloves, silver slugger, a bunch of all-star games. Like, I think then you start having the conversation that, yeah, he, he deserves it. But it's like I said with, uh, with Kinsler that the hall of fame discussion, unless you are Mike Trout, right. Unless you have ridiculous peaks, it's about longevity in a lot of ways. So when you have to retire at essentially 33 and play nine games after you turn 33, then you have the, oh, well, how good was he in his prime? And the Hall of Fame, you have to be an inner circle guy to have a short shelf life. Yeah, and I, th- I mean, for me, I think I have, I have him at four for my, uh, my, my list. You know, if also, I mean, he, so he had 1,805 hits. The 162-game average for him was 193. So, you know, he... You know, and, and he had 394 doubles, so that 162 game average was 42 for that. I mean, that's those are very good numbers. A career 113 OPS plus. I mean, if he doesn't get injured, 
this is a Hall of Fame player, like we said. But on this list, I I can't see him being higher than four. Uh, do, is he four for you too? Yes, he's four. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense because, yeah, like I said, unfortunately, if he finished out his career, he's probably higher on this list, but it's tough. But anyway, we're now going to get into the top three, and I think this is where it will get a little cluttered. I don't know if that's the word to use, but I'm going to start with the play. What I guess he's one of two players technically who are still active that we are discussing today, and that's Jose Altuve. And I know that there's some controversy around Altuve because of the cheating scandal and all that, but Altuve's had a remarkable career thus far, but his career is also incomplete. So it's sort of tough to place Altuve in this list. Uh, Splash, I mean, he's had a remarkable career thus far, but I mean, let's let's put the cheating aside for this, you know, the sign stealing. What what are your thoughts on Altuve? Yeah, on on the sign stealing, I'm just going to, just it's okay we're going to balance that out with a 2020 season that just went totally off the rails so if you i'm gonna we're gonna excuse the the excuse in air quotes excuse the cheating and we're going to excuse in air quotes the 2020 season so we're going to pretend neither of those existed cool okay great so we start he's an all-time great playoff performer at second base he's bringing power he's you know changing the way he plays he was a really a speed contact guy early leading the league in hits, you know, batting 340, 350 um, and stealing 56 bases. Yes. So you have this kind of metamorphosis from a guy that steals 56 bases and hits 341 in 2014. And now he's a guy that, that a very similar OPS this year, 839, but it's a very different approach at the second base position that he's hitting 31 home runs for the second time in three seasons. You know, he's not stealing any bases anymore, but he's still walking. He's still getting on base. He's still being a productive member of society, a productive member of the Astros. And while he isn't a defensive wizard, like his past teammate, Carlos Correa, I guess they're still technically teammates now as Correa's, right? Well, he's not on the roster, so. Okay. Former teammate Correa. We'll we'll go with that. He's not a star defensive player like his former teammate Correa or his current teammate Yuri Gurriel is. But, you know, he's not the worst defensive second baseman ever. Like he's had his fair share of critical errors. If you want to talk about karma, look at the, the Rays series in the 2020 American League Championship Series. Okay, cool. We got that. But I think as a whole, you have kind of a four and a half tool player with Altuve when he can figure out how to throw the ball. It's nice, but he's bringing that power now, but he had been a contact hitter for a long time. And, you know, there is some value in having that different approach as you age gracefully. Yeah. And like, like I was saying with Pedro, you know, Altuve is only five foot six. I mean, for me, I know that it's really easy to hate the Astros. And I know a lot of people are, you know, think Altuve and Correa are like spearheading or like we're the faces of those Astros teams. So they don't like them, but I personally love that Jose Altuve, you know, you know, he's five foot six, but he's also one of the best hitters in baseball. You know, he's played 11 seasons. I guess that first season, he only played 57 games. And we also had the, the 2020 season where you only played 48 games. But even with that, uh, almost 1800, almost 1800 hits. He's at 1777. 
giving him 162 game average of 200 hits per season, 164 homers, which is already more than Pedroia did. 340 doubles. That's also really impressive. A career 308 batting average, 821 OPS, 125 OPS plus, which is really good. He's already at a 41.4 war. And he's a, so he's a three-time batting champion. He's a seven-time all-star. He has a gold glove, albeit he's not a real defensive wizard. Like you said, he's a five-time silver slugger, an MVP, an ALCS MVP. I mean, he has quite the list of accomplishments and you can say whatever you want about the cheating scandal, but I mean, you can't look past these accomplishments, you know, also 261 career stolen bases. That's really good. I'm, I'm just looking at it, his number. Oh, and I mean, 23 career postseason home runs and 907 OPS, you know, I, yeah, world's yes. He has a world series ring. If you wouldn't believe it. Um, but, but not man. two. you're welcome. <laughs> Man, it's, it's it's tough to place him on this list because his career isn't complete. That's the thing, is that, you know, his his Hall of Fame statistics aren't there yet. That's also because he's, he's played 11 seasons. I'm sure he has at least a few more good seasons in him. Oh, man, I don't know where I can put him on this list because on one hand, I could put him at third. But at the same time, I feel like when he finishes his career, he could probably be higher up uh splash what what do, you, what do you think about this so i think the important thing to note here is the aging curves so with kinsler and pedroia they had rather steep declines by the time they were in their mid-30s they were not really a productive hitter with both of our next two people like their primes extended to their age 35 season altuve is not quite there yet so you have to ask yourself okay is altuve going to be a productive hitter for the next four seasons it's, it's a guess at this point. We, he had a terrible 2020. He has an awesome 2021. It's a shrug moving forward. So I, I think ranking him at three with like an asterisk, if you will, is fair and saying he can easily move up, but I don't think he's going to fall below three because he has that basis of he was a productive hitter for, you know, eight years, right? And even if he has this precipitous drop, that's still keeping pace with Pedroia and Kinsler. Like you said, yeah, it's noticeable the way he's he's changed the way he's playing. I mean, now he is, you know, he's able to hit 31 homers in the season. I mean, he hit 24 in 2016, he hit 24 in 2017. But I mean, we've really seen him tap into being a, a power hitter, and, you know, especially for a guy his size. Like I said, I mean, you don't see guys who are five foot six who are able to hit 30 homers in a season. So, yeah, I think for now I have to put him at three. It's just it, it's close, but. I think three is a fair assumption. Also uh, worth noting, he also has led he also led the AL in hits in four consecutive seasons at one point. So that's that's quite the accomplishment. I think he'll be reaching two thousand hits soon. Maybe he has an outside shot at three thousand if he stays healthy long enough. So yeah, I go Altuve at three, and you know honestly, I can see one day Altuve making it in the Cooperstown. I I I think that his his numbers will be good enough. Um, any other final thoughts on Altuve? Uh, with Altuve and his potential Hall of Fame candidacy, do you think he is like the leading of the Astros hitting core? Because obviously Verlander's a lock, Frankie's probably in, Cole is on a faster track. Of like the hitting core for their World Series bound teams, do you think he is the best shot right now? Or do you lean Correa, Bregman? I'd probably go Altuve. 
I think, you know, while Correa has been great, it's also a matter of staying healthy. And um, I think that Altuve has done, he's actually been really good at staying healthy. Barely missed any games, you know. So I think, yeah, and Correa, Correa's kind of had some not so great seasons, I feel like, mixed in. Offensively, Altuve is clearly better, I think. Uh, Correa has the edge defensively, that, that, that being said. So that, and also Correa is younger. So we, we still don't know with Correa, but I think Altuve definitely has the best shot, in my opinion. Um, but anyways, uh, we're going to move off of Altuve and we're going to move on to a player who Mets fans probably still, uh, I know for a fact, Mets fans don't necessarily love this guy. We're going to talk about Chase Utley, who, man, as a Mets fan, I did nothing but root against him for basically his entire career. But you look at his numbers and he had nothing short of a remarkable career. Splash, I know you were also a rival fan being a Braves fan. I mean, looking back at Utley's career, what, what do you make of it? Um, so the most notable thing about Chase Utley is uh, I have a Chase Utley jersey in my my room back home. Um, I don't remember why I ended up with it, but I have a Chase like from Utley his, jersey. Like from his Phillies days? Yeah, like, 2000, okay. like that, that 2009. Phillies like I I don't know why I have it but it's there Uh, my mom offered to make a quilt with it in it it's like okay cool so uh Chase Utley ladies and gentlemen but I think with Utley you touched on five tools with Pedroia you touched on like I said four and a half tools with Altuve Utley's a guy that had uh, had five tools you know he could hit for power he had 32 home runs in a season he had 33 home runs in the World Series winning season he slugged over 500 many seasons he could also play the field. He was a terrific defender, even if he didn't get the acknowledgement with a gold glove. This is why gold gloves are a flawed stat, stat in air quotes, if you will. Solid arm at the third or at the second base spot, could hit for contact, had a year batting 332 in 2007, the year Rollins won MVP. And you have all of these uber productive seasons. 132 OPS plus, 125, 146, 136, 137, 123. All that's great. Then he has a 126 at the end with uh, in his age 34 season, you know, six time all-star, just an exceptional player and can steal some bases, you know, ended with 154 career steals. So he actually has the war advantage. I did a a 10 year prime, essentially age 26, age 35. He actually beats out our final competitor in overall baseball reference war. So have at it. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, as a Mets fan, Chase Utley is a villain uh, to everyone in Flushing right now. Uh, but, I mean, it probably will be forever. But, man, his career was nothing short of just fantastic. You look look at look up and down it, you know, 259 career homers where a, a number of seasons from 2005 to 2009, man, he was what, probably the best second baseman in baseball. You know, 18, surprisingly under 2,000 hits, but, you know, it's whatever. He had 64.5 career war. And that includes some seasons where he really tailed off with the, uh, with the Dodgers. I mean, he was still sort of productive, but he wasn't nearly what he was when he was with the Phillies in his peak. He was, you know, a six, he was a six-time All-Star. He was a four-time Silver Slugger. He won a World Series ring. 
really, it's surprising he never won an MVP because on those Phillies teams that were successful, he was their best player by war. I mean, in 2007, he had Rollins beat. In 2006, he had Howard beat. 2008, he literally had a nine war, and he had an 8.2 in 2009. So from 05 to 09, he accumulated 39.7 war in a five-year span. That's a 7.9 war average. And he also, during that span, he, he put up a 922 OPS with 146 homers and 196 doubles. So he averaged, per season in that stretch, he averaged 29 homers, 39 doubles, and 101 RBIs with 15 steals too. So, I mean, he was electric when he played. You know, he was very short. He had a very short stroke. I remember he was great at making contact. I mean, for a power hitter, he only struck out 15.2% of his play appearances and had a 9.2 walk percentage. Plus, he, he was really good at getting hit by pitches. And he led the majors in that category three times, all, all of which were in a row. And he was a pretty good defender, 120 – actually, really good defender, 123 defensive runs saved. So, yeah, I don't know how he didn't win a gold glove. But, I mean, looking at this, I know with Kinsler and Pedroia, we said they're probably hollow very good. With Altuve, he probably has a chance. With Utley, it's close. Uh, Splash, what do you see uh, happening with Utley once he's eligible for the Hall of Fame? I feel like Utley is going to be in a sort of purgatory. While I, I mentioned with Pedroia and Kinsler that I think they should be like that five to 10% on the ballot that maybe you'll get a vote here or there. Say, for example, this year, let's say you're, you don't want bonds and you don't want bonds in, you don't want Clemens in, you don't want Schilling in, you don't want a rod in, you don't want any, anyone connected to steroids. Well, then you might throw like a, a lower ballot vote to a Pedroia type, right. Or a Kinsler type. Utley is going to get more than that. I think he might be in the range of I think he's kind of analogous to Bobby Abreu that there's going to be some hardcore supporters. Like I would vote for Bobby Abreu for the hall of fame, but there's also going to be people that say uh, they're going to invoke the character clause and that he broke Ruben Tata's leg. And they're going to say all that and that he, you know, wasn't great with the Dodgers and he only played 16 seasons and the 2000 hits. Yeah. There's a ton of reasons to not put Chase Utley in the hall of fame, but I think he's a guy that is a 30% to 40% maybe could get like a late, uh, maybe a late boost with the sabermetrics community because he was so good defensively, but he didn't win a gold glove. So if you look on his baseball reference page, it's no gold gloves, but then you dig into the numbers, you watch Utley play and you say, huh, you know, he was a really good defensive player. You know, he, he was an awesome base runner. You know, there's like base running highlights of Chase Utley, which is not a common thing, but a one thing to mention you said that you're, you had that span of years that he had a super high war. He was third in the National League among position players in war in 05, 06, and 07, and he was second in 08 and 09. If it wasn't for a certain Albert Pujols, he's much higher. Yeah, I heard that Pujols guy was pretty good uh, during that time especially. Well, like you said, I mean, it really – the. The push for Utley to get in the Hall of Fame will come from the newer age, you know, assuming that they start pushing out the older generation of voters. I think that, or more the more old school people, I think that Utley does have a chance. You know, I get that his 64.5 war 
is short of the benchmark. His seven-year peak war is 49.3, which is it exceeds the, the benchmark. His 56.9 jaws is right on the 57.2. That's uh that's the benchmark. And his war per 162 games is 5.4, which also exceeds the benchmark. I'm looking at the guys who are ahead of him in Jaws, because um, by this by this metric, he is he's ranked 12th among second basemen. Here are the guys who are ahead of him: Ryan Sandberg, Jackie Robinson, Frankie Frisch, Bobby Gritch, Robinson Cano, Rod Carew, Charlie Geringer, Joe Morgan, Nat LaJoy, Eddie Collins, and Rogers Hornsby. Ten of those guys, or sorry, nine of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. You know, I think that looking at the way Utley's body of work and, you know, he was really popular among the media, if I'm not mistaken. I think Utley will get in, actually. You know, it's I know Mets fans don't really like him, but like I I can't deny how great of a player he was. So I think Utley does eventually get in. I don't he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer necessarily, but I think he has the stats to back it up. So. Yeah, I mean, any other final thoughts on Utley? Yeah. Do you hate him more for the 13 years he spent in Philly or for breaking Ruben Tejada's leg? Okay, so here's the thing is that his years in Philly, I respected how great he was in Philly. That's the thing is that I hated facing him, but as a player, I didn't necessarily, or as a person, I didn't necessarily hate him. No, I, you know, that's the thing is that I think, he really became like a true super villain in Flushing after he broke Tejada's leg. The thing was that by that point, he was not much of a, he wasn't that much of a contributor anymore, but he still found ways to kill the Mets. You know, I, even after that, I remember the 2016 season, you know, the, the, the Dodgers came to, came to New York Memorial day weekend and, First game of that series, I remember Utley somehow hit a game-tying triple, and it was like, how in the world is Chase Utley still doing this to us? And then the next day was the game where Noah Syndergaard got ejected for throwing a breaking ball behind him, which made absolutely no sense. And then that day, Utley proceeded to hit a solo homer and a grand slam. And that was like peak, like, man, like Chase Utley and flushing, it's like, it, it, it was unbearable. I remember the next day, the Sunday night game, I was at, I was at the game and then his name wouldn't, hadn't even been announced. They were booing. It was like, just, yeah. Oh man. I, it's mainly because of the Dodgers stuff that he's so unpopular in New York. I think now, because I understand he was a pest when he was in Philly and he hit, hit upwards of 30 home runs against the Mets, but it's, it, it's, those Dodgers days that really, because it was like, he wasn't that good anymore, but he still killed the Mets is, and also the fact that he didn't get suspended at all for the, for the, uh, the Tejada play. So yeah, that, that's really what drives Mets fans up the wall nowadays. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. They haven't forgotten about his Philly days, but it's, they will certainly never forget about the, those Dodgers days, but yeah, that's, that's that's how Mets fans feel about Chase Utley. That being said, he was a great player, and I can't deny that. Uh, but anyways, we are going to move on to our last player and probably the most controversial player 
and that includes Jose Altuve, the most controversial player we're going to talk about today, and it's Robinson Cano. You know, I Robinson Cano has had, if, if we're going by the numbers, yes, Robinson Cano has had a fantastic career, but we can also not look past those two failed drug tests. Splash, with all that in mind, I mean, Cano, I mean, if you look at the numbers, his number his numbers are better than Utley. But what 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 do you think about his career? So I will say that Cano is one of my before he became a Met, before he became a Met, was one of my favorite players in like baseball to watch. Like if I was a second baseman, I would want to model my game after Robinson Cano. When I played MLB Power Pros, I would either equip Cano's swing or Ricky Weeks' swing, unless I did Griffey, which is obvious, the obvious choice. So, you know, you love, like, I, Cano is one of my favorite players for a long time. He's an all-star uh, eight times, home run derby champion, uh, was a top 10 MVP voter year after year after year for those post-2009 World Series Yankees. And, like, he played the game with a lot of swagger. You know, like, he played a nice second base. He was a little inconsistent defensively, had some really good years, had some really bad years, did win two deserving gold gloves. But at the plate, there are a few better in that era than Mr. Robbie Cano, don't you know? Career 303 hitter, 309 with the Yankees. With the Yankees, he had a 309, 355, 504 slash line. This is as a second baseman. That's hard to do. That isolated power, you're not getting that out of most second basemen. A 189 isolated power for his career. It was often in the 200s with the Yankees. You know, exceptional doubles power. Had some 30 home run pop in there. Had 33 in 2017 with the Yankees and had 39 with Seattle in 2016. But a lot of doubles, a lot of extra base hits. Didn't, wasn't a base stealer. Wasn't a particularly memorable base runner. But, you know, what he did do, he raked. Yeah, oh man, Cano's swing. I think Robinson Cano had like the smoothest swing in baseball at one point. I mean, it was just so, so aesthetically pleasing. You know, he was just when he was on, man, he was, he was, him and Utley were probably the two best second basemen in baseball. Like, it was just, you know, both guys who could hit, hit for power. I mean, personally, I think Cano in his prime was better. You know, and then even when he sort of lost his power for a little bit when he was with Seattle, I mean, he still hit 314. I mean, even the next year, he started to find himself again. Then he had 39 homers in 2016. You know, hit 23 in 2017. He was an all-star again. You know, then you get towards the end of that Seattle ten tenure, though, and you have to talk about those failed drug tests. I mean, that first one in 2018, you know, all right. He got caught once, you know, okay. You know, it was a masking agent. We don't know. We don't know what he could have been using that for. But, you know, then he gets traded to the Mets, that whole Edwin Diaz, Jared Kelnick trade. You know, he he picked it up in the second half of that 2019 season, but then he was productive again in 2020 in the shortened season. He hit 316, 896 OPS. I mean, you're thinking, Rand Robinson Cano might be back. And then he fills another drug test. You know, at this point, Man, if we're going by the normal counting stats, yes, Robinson Cano is easily the best player on this. No, 2,600 career hits, 334 home runs, an 844 OPS with a 303 batting average, 571 doubles also. That's a huge number. 
you know, 69.6 war, nice. Uh, also 5.0 war per 162, you know, only a 12.6 strikeout rate. These numbers are all best of all these guys we've talked about. But with those failed drug tests, I mean, it's tough. Splash, how much do those failed drug tests factor into your rankings here? So I like to apply the foolish baseball method here, and there's like a, a PED tax, if you will. So guys that were above and beyond and were the Clemens and the Bonds of the world, the A-Rods of the world, they I'm not going to say they get a pass, but they they got into like their inner circle Hall of Famers. Like you can't tell the history of baseball without Barry Bonds. You can't tell the history of baseball without Clements or A-Rod. So they had to clear this extra high hurdle and that's cool. But then I think Cano falls into the Sammy Sosa category, the Mark McGuire category, the um, Manny Ramirez category, the Gary Sheffield category of guys that with, with a stainless resume, they're probably in the hall of fame, maybe not first ballot, but probably in the hall of fame. Like they would be like a Vlad Guerrero type hall of famer at the very least, right? They may not, they may not be Mo Rivera, but they're going to get in the hall of fame pretty early. I think Cano falls into this category and then you have to kind of dock him for, Hey, that's a little suspect, like around the, around the edges. So if he would had a perfectly clear, if he had a perfect square career, like, say Mike Trout has right now, perfectly square career, easy hall of famer, but he has, he's a little rough around the edges. He has the PEDs and you kind of have to ask yourself, is he really, is he good enough? And I think he's good enough, but at the same time you have the PEDs. So he kind of falls, he, he falls below the threshold for me. Great player, but you have the, the scandals late in the career and it just kind of sours it. So if you're asking for 75%, I don't think you can get to 75%. You know, and the, the tough part about this is that, you know, with guys like Bonds and Clemens, you know, some of those guys never actually failed a drug test. It's suspected that they took steroids, and they probably did, but we don't actually know. That's the thing, is that, you know, Barry Bonds never failed a drug test. But with Cano, here's the thing, is that, like we were talking about with Utley, Cano is seventh. Uh, by Jaws. He's seventh all-time in second baseman. And all six of those guys ahead of him, Peru, Garinger, Morgan, LaJoy, Collins, and Hornsby, those guys are all in the Hall of Fame. And then you have three guys below him who are in the Hall of Fame with Frisch, Robinson, and Sandberg. If you want, want to get even lower, you got Alomar and Biggio. Alomar, Biggio, Joe Gordon, Billy and B Billy, Billy Herman, Bobby Doerr, Nellie Fox, Tony Lazari, Bid McPhee, Johnny Evers, and Red Shandings. Those guys are all in the Hall of Fame and they all have lower uh, numbers than him. And he, heck, even Bill Mazeroski and Miller Huggins, those guys are both in the Hall of Fame. They're way lower than Cano. But, you know, it comes back, you know, Robinson Cano did not just fail one drug test. He failed two. You know, that's – you broke the rules knowing the rules. All right, you break the rules once. Okay. You know, he got suspended 80 games, if I'm not mistaken. You break the rules twice – he, he sat out all of last season with an 162-game suspension. It's, man, that's the thing is that his numbers are superior to what Utley did. But, man, with those two failed drug tests, the thing is that, like, 
you know, and I get that when we did the shortstop one, I had, I had a rod over Cal Ripken jr. Man, this is incredibly difficult. I really, I really don't know who, who to put number one here. Cause like I said, like traditionally, yes, Cano would be number one, but at the same time, Utley never failed a drug test. You know, uh, we were pretty sure Utley played his career clean slash. I mean, what, how, how do you rank these two? It's, I think this is the toughest part of this, this list. I'm going to go Cano one, Utley two. I think Cano did enough in his Yankee days before the PEDs that I have him clear of Utley. And like I mentioned with Altuve, that you come to this like crossroads that Altuve's crossroads is if he's healthy, he stays at three. You know, if he's hurt, then he stays at three because he's above four and five. I think Cano did enough before coming to Seattle that like his career with the Yankees, I would take over at least career with the Phillies, for instance. So I think he's high enough there to clear Utley, but not high enough to be like a no doubt easy slam dunk. So I can understand your, uh, your contention. And, and technically Cano's career is not over. Uh, he's still under contract with the Mets. Uh, he, so, so like I said, he was actually productive for the team in 2020 and the second half of 2019, he had 880 OPS. So I'm not saying that he can't be productive uh, to finish out his career, but he apparently has been battling injuries this winter uh, when trying to get back. Uh, he was playing the, the winter league and he, he was left off the playoff roster because of a back injury. So if he's healthy, then I'm sure he can be productive. I'm also curious to see if the Mets are going to try to buy him out because his contract is a bit of an albatross now. You know, he's 30, he's 39 years old. I mean, I think Cano could still be a decent player. He won't be what he once was, but, you know, he could be a bench bat. He could be a bit of a mentor for young, the younger guys. I mean, I understand that, you know, he's failed to drug test, but I've heard he's a good clubhouse guy, you know? So I think, all right. Yeah, I, I think I also have Cano at one. Although Cano just narrowly ahead of Utley, in my opinion. So I think we agree then our order is Cano, Utley, Altuve, Pedroia, and Kinsler. We are in agreement, sir. All right, then. So um, we're coming down to the end of the show then. Uh, Splash, any other final thoughts on what we discussed today? Uh, no, I think we we covered it all. Um, Altuve with the asterisk potential to move up that if we revisit this in say five years, he might be one, you know, he could also be three. Um, so I just hope Ozzy Albies is one day in a conversation like these. Oh yeah. And in the, in the future, I'm sure I could see guys like, yeah, I could, I could see Albies definitely being in the conversation. I could definitely see Altuve rising. No, there's, uh, there, there's definitely some other guys, you know, who I think will, will will rise up into the in into the conversation you know do you other other than guys like albies and obviously altuve is going to probably stick around who who else do you see potentially uh, rising up um before 2021 i would have said dj lemayhew but he was an absolute disaster this season compared to his previous expectations um so beyond them i think you look at if uh, Jazz Chisholm sticks long-term at second base, that is really exciting. Um, he might, you might play him at short if you don't like Miggy Rowe there, Miami, or if you bring in 
hey, they could be a Carlos Correa suitor and then not have to worry about playing Miguiro at all. So uh, I like Chisholm moving forward. Um, actually don't hate Dylan Moore in, in Seattle. Uh, he's kind of like not on the tier of like Ozzy Albies, but like say a Jake Cronenworth might be on the tier of Ozzy Albies. But I do like Dylan Moore moving forward if Seattle can get him at bats. Abraham Toro as well. Um, Seattle has a mess of an infield of how they uh, move their guys around. But yeah, I would go Albies, Cronenworth, I think can be in that conversation if he's long-term at second base. Depends on what they wanted, what the Padres want to do with Tatis and Frazier. Um, Gavin Lux, theoretically, right, has a shot. So that should be a, a fun, fun few years of second base duels. Yeah, you know, I think that right now second base is one of the weaker positions, but I think that there there is a future there. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who else uh, comes up. You know, I think Albies has definitely established himself. You know, I think, yeah, obviously we mentioned Altuve, and I think I think I still believe in Gavin Lux. I think now that he'll be back getting regular playing time without Corey Seager. I think that Lux will probably do pretty well at second base, you know, there, there's some good second base prospects too. You know, I think I was hoping Keston Kiro would be able to get things together, but it, I think that a, he's not moving off. He's not staying at second base and B he really fell apart in recent years. So yeah, I think, I think Albies, Al- Albies is the main guy I'm curious to watch these next bunch of years, you know, obviously him being on the Braves, I'll see a lot of him, uh, but Anyways, that's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, make sure to follow myself on Twitter at Matthias underscore A underscore K. You can follow Splash on Twitter at Mr. Splashman 19. Make sure to follow the Cheap Seats Chatter Twitter account at Baseball underscore OTH. Or at, that's our Baseball Department Twitter account at Baseball underscore OTH. Make sure to follow the Cheap Seats Chatter Twitter account at OTH underscore Cheap Seats. Uh, guys, make sure to tune in all off season long. You know, we'll, we'll be recording a lot of verses, even though baseball is on pause we will not be on pause so make sure you keep tuning in every week sometimes twice a week for more episodes but for everyone at overtime heroics this has been your latest episode of cheap seats chatter thank you for listening and hope to hear from you all real soon